A few years ago, a book was published called How to Get Whatever You Want. It was written by M.R. Kopmeyer, and he's been labelled as America's success counsellor. And my wife, uh, Frances, was eavesdropping on a conversation the other day as someone was uh, discussing the book and getting very excited about the book. I confess I haven't read it all, but I did skim read it. And I had a look through it, and I have a problem with the premise of the book. Let me just quote the introduction. 71 exciting, motivating chapters with hundreds of simple, sure success methods which will make it easy and fun for you to use motivational psychology, personal improvement psychology, and personal influence psychology to get whatever you want. Happiness, love, success, wealth, influence, power, popularity, fame, whatever you want. And it begins by stating you were born to succeed. Well, I think it depends how you define success, but the strapline is, want it, get it, now. Well, I struggle with it. Christians don't start with what we want. The most important thing is knowing God through Jesus and finding what he wants. Now, being ambitious and focused and driven and strategic isn't a problem, but it's, we need to exercise caution when we listen to philosophies such as this. What we want may not be what God wants, and the triumph of love may not be what the world considers to be success. Because someone wants to go into a school and shoot school children for a reason and is successful doesn't mean to say that that is right. What does God want? A baptism service is a good time for us to reflect. What is it that we want in our lives? What do we want in Sophia's life? And as we are thinking about Sophia, I know Joanne and Jason will be thinking about her life. The godparents will be thinking about what they want for Sophia's life. And as a church, we prayed over her. What is it that we really want? Children today are under huge pressure to be high achievers, to make it, to be secure, to be together, to be healthy, to be happy. Our LinkedIn profiles show successes, achievements, and how people are climbing the ladder. Facebook pages boast how many friends we have. Instagram photos share our good experiences with the whole world. And Twitter broadcasts what we're doing, what we're thinking, and how we're feeling. And like it or not we will be judged by others. We'll become aware of their opinions about what we think and feel, and we will be influenced by them. And if we're not careful, that can change what we want. 
Our culture tends to shout loudly through advertising, me first, you're worth it, get it now. And the apprentice-styled selling of ourselves makes us consider and argue why we're better than the person who sits next to us. And when it comes to faith and religion, there's scepticism in our world. And there is a cynicism over any claims to objective truth. But if there is a God, what's to be made of this world? What's to be made of this life? What difference would it make if the most important thing is knowing God through Jesus and finding what it is he wants for your life rather than what we naturally want. What difference would it make to Sophia for her to have a relationship with her creator and to blossom and flourish to be the person she was born to be, which may not be always successful in the eyes of the world. Paul talks about being... uh, participating in the sufferings of Christ, for example. Well, let's think about Paul just for a minute. We had two readings today. Uh, St. Paul was known as Saul, and he was a very uh, respected Jew. He was a pure-blooded Hebrew. He did everything right in the eyes of the law. He did what was expected of him. He was held in high status by his neighbors. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He was self-assured. He was proud. He was successful. Not all bad things in themselves. Yet despite being a devout, obedient Pharisee, Paul went on to see the light and to see things differently, so much so that we read in Philippians 3 verse 7, from becoming a Christian, he said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, Paul doesn't use these words lightly, and he'd been striving for righteousness in his life. It was all very worthy. Uh, Righteousness means a right relationship with God. But in the end, he discovered that to be successful, he had to give up trying to create goodness of his own, trying to work for his agenda and discover what God's agenda was for his life. And when he became a Christian, he realized that all his achievements actually counted as nothing compared to that newfound knowledge of knowing Jesus, to which he felt called into a deepening relationship on. In other words, the law and all its ways were no more than rubbish compared to what he had found. And he said there's no boasting for God's people except in the name of Jesus. The only one who can put us right with the Father is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, he becomes everything. And it's his spirit that leads us into a new way of living. 
So for Paul, he hadn't arrived, although many would have thought he was. He was very successful. He hadn't succeeded where it mattered until that time where he started to run the race of faith. Have you ever been so busy looking at something that you've uh, uh, perhaps looking behind and bumped into something that was in front of you? I remember somebody who told me they were out walking their dog. I find this funny, you might not. But uh, the dog ran ahead of them, looked back to see if the owner was following and ran into a lamppost. (laughs) And it was the funniest thing he said he'd ever seen because the dog couldn't quite work out what had happened. We laugh and we'll be reported to the RSPCA for it. But uh, if you don't look know where you're going, you can end up in pain. One sunny day, I was wearing my dog collar. I remember stepping out of Loughton Methodist Church uh, for a breath of fresh air. I'd been working in the church for a while. And as I strolled down Loughton High Road, I saw Rod Stewart. And he was casually walking towards me with his stunning wife, Penny Lancaster, who's six foot one without her heels on. Uh, You can't miss her. And as they passed by me, I confess my head was turned. And as I turned around, I walked into three ladies from the Women's Fellowship (laughs) who said, Tony, we saw you. She's got great legs, hasn't she? (laughs) Glad you're human. (laughs) Sometimes we do get distracted and we get knocked off course and we feel embarrassed about it. And we need to concentrate if we're actually to find the future that God has for us. Philippians 3 verse 13b. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. Do you remember how uh, Peter tried to walk on water? And he was absolutely fine when he was looking towards Jesus. But then when he began to worry about the waves and he began to look to the shore from where people were, he then began to panic. And it was then when he took his eye off that he began to sink. I think there's a real lesson for us There are so many voices crying out to us in the world as to what we should want and saying, you could be successful, you can have all these things. There's a kind of temptation, do you recognize it? But if we lose concentration, we will find we will sink. And Jesus calls us to look to him, forgetting what is behind, Paul says, and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which Christ has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. John Wesley talked about the walk of faith in terms of us breathing in faith and breathing out love and prayer and thanksgiving. Breathing in faith and breathing out love and prayer and thanksgiving. And as we look to Jesus, we're like, if you like, newborn babies who who have to kind of let go of the things around them and learn to take those steps and go towards the one who is before, who's got arms opened out, who's egging you on. 
And that's a picture that I like to hold out of Jesus for us, who's saying, go for it. Discover what you were created for. Come towards me. Don't look to the left or to the right. The writer of the book of the Hebrews wrote these words, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We should never feel that we have arrived or succeeded. We have to press on towards the goal. And that comes from a relationship with Christ and listening to what His will is for us. And Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires, in other words, its needs and its wants. Since we live by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit, just like that child reaching out to the one who's egging us on. Paul admits in verse 12, not that I have obtained all this or that I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. In other words, we don't feel we've arrived. We keep on going. And then Nigel read for us the gospel reading. Mary shows us the most important thing is knowing God through Jesus, his son, loving him and worshipping him and giving your best for him. Out of thanksgiving and humility, Mary brings her offering, a, pure, a pint of pure, exotic, spikenard perfume from India. Cost about a year's wages for an ordinary working person, I suppose about £20,000 in today's money if we listen to what they think the averages are. And she pours it over the feet of Jesus and wipes it with her hair. It was more like the actions of a disreputable woman rather than a follower of a rabbi. Why did she do it? I mean, that's expensive stuff. Well, John doesn't actually say, but it seems to be out of an overwhelming sense of love for him, perhaps the sensing the looming danger that he was about to go to the cross and he was preparing for his death. Imagine the fragrance of the perfume filling the room, but also the tension filling the room at exactly the same time. What? She's given, she could have kept that for, I mean, she could have sold it on eBay. She could have done all sorts of things. She could have been wealthy. Why use that for him? And Judas isn't a happy bunny. He's quick to rebuke her making out that he has a concern for others with a reasonable question, why hasn't this perfume been sold and the money been given to the poor? It's interesting whether it would have been <laughs> had it not been poured out. There's then mentioned that he was a thief and more concerned about keeping the money for himself. Whatever his motivation, he clearly didn't understand what was going on. Probably deeply moved 
the Lord defends Mary. Leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. This was on what we call uh, the day before Palm Sunday or Palm Sunday. So Jesus justifies her actions. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. We can find all sorts of reasons not to give time and our all to Jesus our Savior. We can justify it with so many reasons. But at the end of the day, he is here. He wants to be with you. Will you give you him your all? We have to find out what that means. We have to work out what that means. But she was extravagant. She poured out the perfume. The chapter before in Philippians talked about Jesus pouring out, emptying his life for us. And all she was doing was the same in response. Well, I want to ask the question this morning as we think about little Sophia. What are we prepared to give to the Lord? How do we justify not giving our best, keeping it for ourselves or giving it to others? Do we know Jesus well enough to listen to what he's telling you to do with all that you are and all that you have? He doesn't necessarily tell us to give it all away. But have we listened to what he wants for you. And I pray for Joanne and Jason that they will be listening to what it is they need to give for their daughter, that she may find faith for herself. And Sophia, we want her to discover what she needs to give to the Lord and how, so that she can find what she was created to be. So let's go back to that book, you were born to succeed. Well, I do think, actually, there is a prize. <laughs> there is a goal. There is something to go for. And there's much in the book that I would agree with. But let's not be tempted to turn to our left and our right and be distracted by what the world says is successful. Ultimately, we can only find what it means to live successfully by being caught up in the servanthood of Christ, to allow him to pour his love into your heart. And we need to remember that some saw the cross as failure, apparent failure. But in God's time, even though it seemed to be foolishness, God triumphed in the resurrection, which we shall celebrate on Easter today. There's nothing wrong with ambitiously wanting things, providing they don't become more important than knowing Jesus and him informing your wants. I want to close with a, a quote, which was from a book, What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Women. It's by Dr. James Dobson, who's a Christian, but this was the paragraph that really leapt out to me. I have concluded that the accumulation of wealth, even if I could achieve it, is an insufficient reason for living. 
When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look backward on something more meaningful than stocks and bonds. Nor is fame of any lasting benefit. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Nothing else makes much sense. So, I repeat, Christians don't start with what we want. The most important thing is knowing God through Jesus and what he wants. Amen. Let us pray.